What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, as Michael Corleone famously quipped in The Godfather 3, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. And folks, it could not be more the opposite for the Sabres. Just when I think I'm back <laughs> in, they push me the fuck back out. The Sabres picked up a massive 5-2 to victory over the reigning Stanley Cup champs, the Vegas Golden Knights, on Friday night, only to just completely pull the rug out from themselves and from all of us with a 2 to nothing loss against Arizona. Now, we talked about earlier in the week when the Sabres had beat the Coyotes at home on Monday that it was a solid win given that the Phoenix, the Arizona Coyotes are now much more of a playoff team. They're a lot more competitive. A lot of their younger guys have really been stepping up. Some of their offseason moves have really paid out for paid off for them so far. So it was a good win altogether, but it's still a team that by and large you should be better than. You're trying to get a little bit of momentum going, coming out of that win. Taylor, what ends up happening here? Well, let's see. You get dog walked by Colorado in the beginning of your road trip, five to one against an avalanche team that we said is, is obviously still damn good. But we're still hoping for two wins out of this three-game West Coast road trip. So then the Sabres pull it together on Friday night again with a commanding 5-2 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights. And as has been the case all season long, the Sabres are simply incapable of winning back-to-back games with a very, very, very disappointing 2 to nothing loss. Taylor, let me throw something at you here if, if you don't mind. How many games have the Sabres won this season? Uh, Do you happen to know off the top of your head? No, is it 14? They've won 13 games this year. Follow-up question. Do you know how many times they have won a second game in a row after winning the first initial game? Uh, One. One other (laughs) time. They are just about guaranteed to lose after winning, which obviously, as we all know, is not what makes a team a playoff contender here. You have to be able to string together series of wins, and especially in a position that the Sabres are in right now, they really can't afford to keep dropping these second games coming off of big wins. We, we talk about it repeatedly, or we have talked about it repeatedly, where they picked up wins against really solid teams only to drop really disappointing losses to teams that are lesser than them after the fact. So, Taylor, as it stands right now, the Sabres are second last in the Atlantic division right now with 29 points. Things are just about as bleak in the playoff race as they are third last in the Eastern Conference right now with 29 points, Taylor. They're tied with the Pittsburgh Penguins for 29 points. However, the Penguins have played three fewer games than the Sabres. They're only five points back of that second wildcard spot where Washington currently sits at 34 points. However, Washington has played four fewer games than the Sabres right now. So things are looking bleak. There may be some reinforcements on the way as early as Tuesday night in Columbus, which we will get to after we get through this portion of the episode. But Taylor, give me your takeaways from this weekend's games against Vegas and Arizona. Well, I actually want to start with Colorado because that is just one of the classic Sabres first periods from this year. Just getting their brains beat in for no reason. And what was it, Brendan? 15 nothing in shots by the time? Sabres got their first shot in that one. Yeah, I think was, you're right. I think it was 15. So then, you know, the Sabres obviously had a lot of shots after that, but, it, you know, there are a lot of low percentage shots. It's the classic. You're down multiple goals. Throw something at the net kind of thing. And 
Colorado started playing more defensively, but yeah, that one was not worth staying up for. I didn't, I didn't watch the third period because it was like, oh, we knew what they were going to do in that one. Uh, in Vegas, I, I don't know what to say about that one. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's what they've done a few times now, which has been a recent trend, I guess, of kind of jumping on another team, like doing the opposite of what I just said about the Colorado game. I guess they, they find it incapable of having a, uh, normal period but i think what was good about the vegas game is there was some adversity there was kind of a a ticky tacky penalty called on you know the whole scruffle scruffle (laughs) the whole kerfuffle that happened after the power eichel hit and then you know they eichel scored there's a tie game one point and then they just really dominated the second third period and put away what might be the best team in the league so that was you know that's on the road too very encouraging like we've seen them do that to the the Bruins and the Rangers and the Knights so far this year. In fact, I think I saw a stat that the Sabres account for 17% of those teams' regulation losses. Yes. Which is crazy. Right. Yep. Those are like three of the four best teams in the league. Those might be three of the division winners. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I really should have bet on it. Should have should have gone to our friends at DraftKings Saturday because it's just so obvious. Like, of course they're going to come out flat. Of course, yeah, they just beat the best team in the league. Now they're going to get shut out by Carol Vamelka. It just, I know it's a, a three out of four nights uh, road trip on the other coast, and that's tough. But you just you can't afford. You don't have that luxury anymore. You you can't you can't be like, oh well, Colorado's good. Oh well, it's tough to play three times in four nights in a back to back. It's it's not like that. And the goaltending was fine as it has been for the most part this year, but it's just a feeble feeble offensive attack. And yeah, like I said, like. Vimelka was really good last year. He's not been good this year. He was about an 880 going into that game. He lost his starting job. And he's not going to get it back just because he beat the Sabres, but they made him look like an even better version of the Vimelka from last year, which is just embarrassing. Uh, but I, I don't even know what to say about it. There was, I saw some stats today on Twitter comparing last year and this year at this point, this time last year to so far this year in terms of the offense. And it's it's abysmal. And it's jarring, like how, from both team and individual perspective, how far they've fallen. Darlene is a good example. He was a, a basically a point of game player last year. Cage had 49 points last year at this time. I know he's missed some time, obviously, but it's basically everyone except Casey Middlestead is worse than they were last year. It's it's terrible. And that that game Saturday was basically a microcosm of the season. It was boring. The goaltending weirdly held up. The offense was nowhere to be found and just ends up being kind of an embarrassing, like useless, dull loss. Well, and we've talked about this previously, Taylor, and I don't know if you necessarily want to pin it firmly on coaching because I obviously there is a hefty amount of accountability that goes towards the players. But there's got to be something to be said of the fact that this team can't win more than one game in a row. You go out there and you have incredible offensive efforts against Vegas. You know, Casey Metalstad, as we said, he's obviously had a really strong year. He picks up two goals and an assist. Dylan Cousins has one of his most productive games on the score sheet this year with a goal and two assists in this one. Zach Benson had a goal, which obviously, you know, we could talk about him a little bit as well as he's had a a really great continuation of a, a strong year here. But then just the, the next night to go up against a team like Arizona, who, like we've said, they're they're a quality team, but they're not somebody that you are so just violently overmatched against that you're not able 
to to keep up with their pace of play or with their star power or you got goalied or anything like that. You couldn't score. You couldn't score on them, and they fell flat. And so I, I think I asked you this maybe last week. To what degree do you think that this falls on coaching? And to what degree do you think it falls on the players in terms of not being able to string together a couple of wins at a time? Well, I think it has to be a little bit of both. But the the classic thing is uh, a lot of times people say, like, what, what do you want this coach to do? His players are playing like shit. Well, if you're the GM, take it from the GM's perspective, you can't just get rid of all your players. You can get rid of your coach. Now, I'm not saying that's likely or anything, but I started to think about it for the first time when they were losing to Colorado. And, and if Granado deserves to get fired, if it's actually a possibility if things go bad enough, had they gotten swept on this road trip, would it be possible? And I was trying to think about would it, would it be fair? I think, yeah, the answer is kind of yes. It's his third full season. He basically between the when he took over in 2021 and this year, he, he basically has three years of games under his belt, or he's getting very close to that. And the, you have to make the playoffs in your third and a half year as coach. And there's we've we've gone over a million times how they didn't do enough in the offseason. The roster isn't where it should be. But I think the talent they showed last year on offense and the, all the potential they showed, and and you add basically Zach Benson, a better version of J.J. Paterka to the lineup, Casey Middlestack continues to grow. You add all that to a team that scored all those goals last year, and you, you haven't had crazy injury problems. Tuck, Skinner, and Tage have all missed some time, which isn't great. His cousins missed a little bit of time, but most guys have been healthy most nights. So... There's, I think you have to pin this a little bit on coaching. Is it possible that they overcorrected last year when they saw how pitiful the defensive numbers were and how bad the goaltending was and were like, we can't just play this freewheeling style? And, and you've seen growth on the defensive side, especially from Cage, for example. But is, is it worth it? Because they're not better than they were last year. And that was something they were actually good at. I don't think the Sabres team can hang their hat on being a good defensive team. They can be like, we're a solidly responsible defensive team. We're not getting killed like we were last year. Our goaltending is better, but that's not winning them games. Whereas last year their offense was. So I think, I don't know if that's an organization wide philosophy, but I think yeah, you can start to pin some of that on Granado. And frankly, the amount of times they've come out flat in the first period, like the Colorado game, that has to, that reflects poorly on the coach. It really just does. It's, it's not something you can just wave away and be like, huh, it's weird that they keep doing that. So it, it, I, I think he has to own it. But yes, I, I agree with some other people that have said it's it's also on the players to be better. It is. It's on Darlene to be the guy he was last year. It's it's on him to be a guy that's worth eleven million dollars or whatever he gets paid now and be more responsible with the puck. It's on Samuelson to be better than he's been so far. It's on Connor Clifton to be an NHL level player. But you start to see these things pile up and you have to think a little bit about the coach and I'm not sure they'll do it. This They'll do it during the season. But the last thing I want to say about Granado is it a lot of times seems that Terry Pagula doesn't care or is just going to stick with something forever. And it, it, that narrative starts to go around, but Hey, he fired Lindy Ruff in 2012, 13, whatever year that was 2013. He pulled the trigger pretty quickly on Rolston. They fired Ted Nolan. After not even two, two full seasons, they ended up firing by Elsma after two seasons and pulling the trigger on Bird really quickly. No one thought they were going to fire Bottrell. Uh, they pulled the trigger on Kruger without him having actually coached a full season, either of the two years that he coached. And uh, 
And is there anyone else I'm missing? Well, I mean, I guess Rex Ryan's also an example if you want to go on the Bills <laughs> side. So he has been, you know, he actually has been, uh, I guess, quick to fire people who aren't doing a good job. I, I could have thrown Housley in there too, but I think everyone knew Housley was done. So a lot of times with those guys that I just mentioned, there's this narrative beforehand, like, oh, this guy's just here. He's going to be here a while. When things get bad enough, which they often do, unfortunately, Magula is more than willing to to eat a contract, uh, to pay guys multiple years in that coach. I mean, he was paying Rex and Bielsma and Housley and Whaley and Murray at the same time to not do their jobs because they'd have been fired. So maybe things are different post-2020, post-strategic reorganization of PSE, but I wouldn't be surprised, I would say, if the Sabres keep this up and if things get bad enough, I wouldn't be surprised if Granado is gone. But on the other hand, uh, the Sabres, as much as they don't like to win two games in a row, they also really don't like to lose two games in a row. So there hasn't been a really good opportunity for Pagula to be like, this is an embarrassment, we need this guy gone. Yeah, I think the problem is that they haven't really been able to turn a corner for the past month and a half where you feel like things are going to be on the up and up here. And when we're talking about things like coming out flat in games, you know, you can't really compare it to Sabres teams of the past just because of the fact that we haven't had a team that's had as much talent as this team is. So for me, you know, it's undeniable that Granado has helped his fair share of these guys grow. A lot of these guys have flourished under him. Obviously, last year, there were several guys who had career seasons under him. And rightfully, that can be attributed to the fact that Granado was able to unlock them to a degree. I think at the same time, if we're going to give him credit for that, we also have to place some of the blame on him, though, when it comes to these guys taking a step back, when it comes to a team that has the talent to be a playoff team coming out flat like this on damn near a nightly basis. To my point I made before, too, about them really not showing any signs of life in terms of turning a corner, I went back and looked, Taylor, just to how the Sabres fared at the end of November versus the start of this month. So I looked at the nine games that the Sabres have played in December so far, and I looked at the last nine games that the Sabres played in November. Would you believe it, Taylor, if I told you that at the end of November – this Sabres team went three, five, and one. And oh boy, folks, get ready. I hope you're all sitting down. Would you also believe it that the Sabres have started December three, five, and one? Consistency. Yeah, they're nothing if not consistent. So when it comes down to it, you have the roster, you have the pieces. Are there holes on this roster? Absolutely. 100%. And that's something that can fall in the front office. Definitely. We've talked about that at length. Taking it a step further, though, there's a lot of earned errors on Granado's part. Now, we saw today that they had sent down Jacob Bryson. This seemingly is paving the way for Jack Quinn to make his return, which is great to see them being able to not be afraid to put Bryson on waivers, I think, is ultimately a good thing. And it shows that they're, you know, I mean, obviously it's out of necessity, but, you know, they at least made some move happen here and seemingly the right one with Bryson as he only appeared, I believe, in three games so far this year. But when it comes down to it, though, there's things that you can look at with Granado, like Samuelson, Dahlin. It needs to stop. The, the, the two of them are, are better away from each other. Samuelson, in general, just needs to get a, a minutes reduction here. I think that, you know, we're locked in with Matias Samuelson for a while now. We have him after this year, five more years. Like, you're locked in. That being said, 
while he hasn't exactly lived up to the contract thus far, I still think that there could be some some redemption there, similar to Kyle Opozo, if you're able to transition him to being a really, really good third-pairing defenseman who can get heavy penalty kill minutes, but you're not giving him top-pairing minutes at five-on-five. Five. And then maybe you have some semblance of you know, recouping some of the value on that contract, because I'll be honest with how he's been playing right now. It looks ugly. I I don't think that this is the guy that we're going to get. I think we said this last week that I don't think that what we've been seeing from Samuelson and the slump that he's in uh, is what we're resigned to for his, his career here, but it comes down to putting guys in a position to succeed and Granado continuously rolling out Samuelson and Darlene as a pairing is to the detriment of both of those players. I 100% agree, and it seems to be the detriment of the team in general because Samuelson's played a lot better with power. And Dowling's had his, his worst numbers with Samuelson, so I don't understand it at all. I don't I don't know if, what Granado sees in that. I don't know if he's been asked uh, in a press conference, like, why are you doing this? Why do you like these guys together? Well, and that's what goes back to the point that we talked about when we had Josh on from Evolving Wild, which is what is informing these decisions? Yeah. Is it Granado being like, I just like it. I like these guys together. Everyone can go to hell. I'm the coach. I'm not, I don't, I don't think probably that's what he's thinking, but is there any input where uh, one of the stats fellows, maybe Sam Ventura is there and says something like, Hey, uh, you know, this has been like a bad pairing. This is the only guy that's dragged down Darlene. The team has been this amount worse. Do you think Granado would care? I don't know. I, I think you would. I don't see how he doesn't see it. And I don't know what he sees in it either. It's It's been bizarre. Agreed. Agreed. Well, with that little bit of news, though, that I just shared, the Sabres wave Jacob Bryson, which seemingly clears the way for Jack Quinn to make his season debut against Columbus on Tuesday night. Very exciting stuff, Taylor. How just crucial is it for the Sabres getting Quinn back into the lineup here, which I will add is coming without any sort of a conditioning stint? The conditioning thing is interesting. It is. I mean, he's been practicing, but that he wouldn't just have a couple games in Rochester. I don't know. Maybe they just really want to get him in the lineup. I mean, they could use him. <laughs> they certainly could use some more scoring punch. So, but I'm excited though. You know, it's we haven't seen Quinn play in like eight months now. So he was really. I thought he finished last season really strong, and there was a lot of you know good, a lot of hope coming into this year. I unfortunately had that injury over the summer, but. With the way Paterka's played this year, I'm interested to see if like if Quinn and Paterka are going to play together, and what that looks like, what what they look like together, how that goes. So, I'm 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 really excited to see that. I wonder why uh, he he didn't go to Rochester. If I think that's genuinely the best thing, or they just think like, damn, we need to get this guy in. We uh we look like shit. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, to go back to that, though, when it comes to a, an area of necessity versus doing what's best for the player, do you think that that's a question that they really need to be asking themselves here? Or is it you think that the best way to go about this is trial by fire, throw him out there, let him get his legs underneath him by playing at the AHL level rather than at the NHL level? I don't know. I, I mean, I guess what they've seen in practice, they just feel that he's ready and he doesn't need that. That would be the the way I hope they're looking at it. Cause I really, they really should not, they should be thinking about what's best for the player. Absolutely. I mean, they, you always should be, but at this moment, especially it's like we said, we weren't going to mention the P word very often anymore. 
I think, unfortunately, the way this season's going right now, it just makes more sense to just worry about getting better. Worry about, like, these guys long-term and not worrying about, like, we got to get Eric Robinson in because he looks really good or whatever. Like, you know, trying to get other guys in, too, which, I mean, we can talk about this some other time, I guess. But there are some fellows in Rochester who are still doing really well. Certainly. And on the other side of that move, as I had mentioned, is Jacob Bryson put, being put on waivers. Have to think that he's going to clear. I, the, of course, there's a chance maybe somebody wants to pick him up, but you have to think that he probably will end up reporting to Rochester here. Any thoughts on that move at all, Taylor? Does that do anything for you? Uh, Not really. I, I guess it had to happen eventually. They just It seems like Renato is just done with him, given that he – Despite, you know, different troubles and defensive injuries and whatnot, that they just were not interested in putting him in the lineup basically at all. And the fact that Ryan Johnson immediately so looked so good in the NHL kind of made it seem made Jacob Bryson's job even harder. But he was in a really unenviable position. So this is actually good for him because he played three games this year. He's averaging a game a month basically right now. And that can't be good for you that just not play. So he'll at least get to go to Rochester, he'll get to play and then you know, who knows, maybe in the offseason someone wants to give him a, a two-way deal, work his way back into the NHL. Just the Sabres have too many defensemen at the NHL level for that to make sense. Absolutely, Taylor. Well, let's talk about something, uh, another positive, which is Devin Levi, man. He has been fantastic since he was called up to the Sabres. Obviously, he picked up that win against Vegas on Friday night. Uh, I'm going to have some stats here I'm going to throw at you in a minute, Taylor. But while I'm pulling those up, I want to know, has your opinion on what the Sabres should do with Levi changed at all? Well, it's definitely evolving because he went down for two games, and it was like he went down for a year's worth of uh, like conditioning and wisdom. He came back, and he's just been awesome. I know that's it's all very small sample kind of stuff, but I mean, if he's going to play like this and if Comrie's just going to be bad the way Comrie's been whenever he's actually been – in a game of late, then yeah, I guess I guess you can continue to develop Levi at the NHL level, and you have in your back pocket the fact that you can send him down again if things go poorly. Yeah, I'm of a pretty similar belief. I, I don't know. I guess my headspace on it is he has been so undeniably good while he's been up that while I think in terms of the long haul, I, I completely understand and, and see the benefit in sending him back down and just saying, hey, listen, we sent you down for a reason. We want you to get these games. Here you go. Let's get you some work in and get you more acclimated to playing professional hockey. I'm kind of at a point now that it feels like keep rolling with it until it ends up being a problem again, just because of how good he's looked. So the numbers I was uh, looking for were from Megan Chaika, who's obviously incredible follow on, on Twitter. Uh, really great for some quality analytics commentary. Uh, and this isn't yeah, even her brother was a fantastic GM. Oh, he did great work. Great work. Uh, but not even that these are really deep in it analytical numbers or anything like that, but it's eye-opening when you look at where Levi was prior to his call-up, his recall, and 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 since he's been called back up. So for starters, his save percentage prior to the AHL stint was about 876, and his save percentage since his recall, 942. <laughs> Saves per game prior to getting sent down 24.4 since being called back up 28.5 and then scoring chance save percentage 
prior to the AHL stint, 72.5. Since being recalled on December 5th, Taylor, 88.2 scoring chance save percentage. The proof is in the numbers right there. It's it's in the eye test. It's in the numbers. It's everywhere. He has been fantastic since he's come back up. And you you put it best when you said it seems like he was down there for a much longer stint than he actually was. So why not just keep rolling with it until he gives you a reason to send him down again? You know, if if we're if Levi is this anomaly of a player, I, I mean, I think that he obviously has all the tools to end up being a great goalie in this league. I don't think that you should go about this in the same approach as you were going into the season where you just have the expectation now that he's just going to be able to be the guy and handle this workload. But I do think that in an instance like this with a player like this, given how good he's looked since he's come back, that why not just keep rolling with them until you start to see the wheels come off again. And then it's all right, let's send you back down. We'll lean on UPL and Comrie in the meantime. And then you get your starts still. And when the time is right, when we need you to, or when it seems like you've, you know, earned the chance to come back up again, we'll get you back up here. Yeah, it, it does make sense. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I guess these things are kind of fluid, but it, the way he's playing, I don't know. He's, he's harder to talk about than, almost any other prospect because we've been harping on the fact that most goalies I'll spend this time in the AHL. It's rare for guys to be 21 or 22 and play a bunch of NHL time, especially starters workload, but he genuinely is very different than even some of the best goalies just in terms of how quickly he adapts to things and improves at them. So it kind of makes it harder to talk about him than the other guy. But yeah, I think now you can play it by ear. I mean, if he's playing well, then yeah, keep him up the rest of the year. Sure. If it's, it gets to be a problem later in the year, you think he's better off in the AHL, you have that opportunity still. But, Brennan, do we want to hear a word from our sponsors before we get to anything else? You're goddamn right I do. Let's hear it. All right. This podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. Tonight, Tuesday night, the Sabres are taking on Columbus, the only team on the East that actually worst points percentage than the Sabres. Sabres are favored, actually. Uh, goal and a half. But I'm sure the the money line will be moving at their minus 166 right now. But, you know, check that out. And if you're interested in betting on that or anything else in the world of hockey, download the app now and use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers get you at $150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. The gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777. Visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. We're back. We're back. Darn right we are. Well, Taylor, let's take a look at the road ahead here for the Sabres. Again, as they are in a crucial stretch of the season right now, We've said from the start, where you are around the new year is usually a pretty good indicator of where you're going to be. 
when it comes to the end of the year and especially when it comes postseason time. As I had mentioned before, that stat that the Sabres are 3-5-1 and one right now throughout December. They were 3-5-1 and one to close out November. There's six games to go, Taylor. They play on Tuesday against Columbus. Follow that up with a game against the Leafs on the 21st. That's on Thursday. And then Saturday, you have the Rangers. Then they close out the year the following week with games on Wednesday against Boston, Saturday against Columbus again, and then on New Year's Eve against Ottawa. So, Taylor, you have three really good teams mixed in there, and you got two teams that you absolutely should be able to pounce on. They've shown they have a knack for being able to beat good teams. So give me a sense of what you think the Sabres need out of these final six games heading in to 2024. Oh, look, four wins, <laughs> four, one, and one, nine points. They need to, this is going to sound like an oversimplification, but they need to start scoring. Brandon, do you want me to read some stats courtesy of a, uh, a fellow podcast that I saw on Twitter today? Taylor, I don't think there's anything more in this life that I love than you reading stats. It's it's <laughs> truly unbelievable stuff. Give it to me. Oh, oh, thanks. And this is courtesy of the Crossing Swords podcast. So thanks. These, these guys put out stats basically comparing – December 18th, 2022 to December 18th, 2023, and what the Sabres numbers look like. The record last year is 15, 14, and 2. This year, 13, 16, and 3. And that's not really that big of a difference, honestly, but this was supposed to be a year where they improved a lot. And then stat leaders. Last year, at this point, Paige Thompson, 25 goals. This year, Skinner and Paterka are tied with 12. Last year, Darlene, 27 assists. This year, Darlene, 18 assists. Last year, Tate Thompson, 49 points this year. Down in the middle stat, have 25 points each. Team stats from the power play, they've gone from 30%, which is second, to 13.3, which is 26. That is unbelievable. They've Woo! cut more, more than in half. Uh, their goals for per game has gone from, at this point last year, was first in the NHL, 3.97, all the way down to 26th at 2.81. And, and they have shown improvement. But this is what I meant earlier about the fact that they're their decline in offense uh, is far outpaced their improvement on defense. And an example of that is the penalty kill has gone from 72.6, which is 26, to 81.2, which is 12th. And the goals against per game, it's only dropped from 3.45 to 3.25, 23rd to 21st. Not that big of a difference. Not at all. So that's it. basically what I'm trying to get at here is the last six games of the year, try to look a little bit more like that last team. Even if you don't get four wins, like I said, you don't go four, one, and one. Even if, even if we're starting to think more about next year, unfortunately, that at least look like you guys all have played together before and like playing together. They play fast and dangerous on offense. Get scoring chances. Be an aggressive four-checking team. Dylan Cousins, start to look like that 30-goal guy again. All that stuff. And it'll be great to see Jack Quinn, too. Agreed. I just think that there needs to be, and again, shout out to, uh, it was Crossing Swords podcast you said had that? Yep, thanks Crossing Swords. Shout out to them for uh, for the stats there. Yeah, I mean, I think that it comes down to, you just need to find a way to blend the offense that made you great last year with the defense that's very, very much keeping your head a bit above water this year. There shouldn't be a reason that you can only have one or the other. You know, you can have both of these things. It's just being able to play that up-tempo 
skill-based run-and-gun style that the Sabres were just scoring lights out on teams last year and being able to blend that with some responsible defensive play. That's all, you know, you have to enable your goal scorers and your playmakers to do the things that they're great at. And I'm not sitting here saying that Granado is doing the Ralph Kruger thing of trying to make guys kind of play outside their roles or what makes them great or anything like that. But it's on him to put these guys in a position to succeed. And I don't think that it's just by a matter of coincidence that just about everybody who was having a career year last year has taken a pretty noticeable step back. That side of it does fall on Granado. He's got to figure out a way to rally these guys to work with what he has and to get out of his own way. Darlene Samuelson, obviously kind of being at the forefront of that, but really just put these guys in a position to succeed, allow them to do what, enabled Tage to almost have 100 points last year or for Dylan Cousins to become a 70-point guy or for Alex Tuck to be the dominating two-way force that he was last year or to, for Darlene, like you said, to, to be that point-per-game offensive defenseman. It's on Granado to put them in those positions. And so uh, until that happens or until they are able to find a way to blend last year's offense with this year's team defense – we're going to be stuck here in this like purgatory of you win one, you lose one, you win one, you lose two back and forth, back and forth. You got to be able to get through to these guys to enable them to string together more than one win at a time. It, it, Cause that, again, it just comes back to it being a mental thing. It, it, at least that's how it feels. It feels like this is just like a mental block that they need like Dr. Sharon from Ted Lasso or something to like come in there and like whip these dudes into shape. I don't know. I don't know. You like a sports psychology type thing? I wonder if it is that. Is that something that they should consider? I don't know. And I'm not saying it in terms of them being like a bunch of head cases or something, but I don't know. It just is shocking to me that they have only won a game coming off of a win one time this year. That just shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be. And and if it's a, a preparedness thing too, with the slow starts that they've been having in first periods, maybe you do need to get a sports psychologist in there. I don't even know if they already have one or not, but maybe that is something that, that they need to try and write the ship here. I, I mean, you, you just, we cannot be in a position come February where the season is already over. You can't, that would be just such a monumental step back and in the wrong direction that you can't return to trying to crawl out of mediocrity. You need to be in it. You need to be, fighting tooth and nail until the very end until you are either in or you're eliminated from playoff contention to, to be a part of this conversation. And so if it comes down to it and and we're at February jobs should be on the line or something, if it's that early that the season is just like a, a loss here. And I think that these next six games, while, you know, you can't definitively say it one way or another. I think that these next six games very well could be the rest of the season. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are these turning points sometimes that you see with individuals and teams. So not to say we're going to be this team, though, but at this time in 2018, the Blues were terrible. And they just traded for Ryan O'Reilly. It looked like they're at the end of an era. They end up winning the cup because they have just a couple things go right. They stop having the worst luck in the world. Jordan Bennington shows up and has, has his only good six-month stretch of his career. And, oh, wow, they won the Stanley Cup. 
I'm not saying that's going to happen. Obviously I'd be pretty sure it isn't going to happen, but you can just have these turning points where it's like, Oh, well, we understood how this specific group could win together. And maybe that's getting Quinn back and it's Tage getting healthy. And uh, hopefully is, is Skinner back by the way. So regardless of what those things are, if, if there's just a combination of these things, like Levi coming back from Rochester and being better and, Maybe you get something and Darlene starts playing like 100% Darlene and not like 88% Darlene. Uh, Samuelson plays better, uh, things like that. There's just so many guys that could get going, which is a good thing. I mean, it's better than beats the alternative of it being 2019-20 and us being like, wonder if they just moved Marcus Johansson. What would that be like? You know, so hopefully just th- there is some kind of turning point like that. Yeah, there's nothing conf- there's nothing confirmed on tomorrow, but neither Skinner nor Tuck practiced today. Mm. Today being Monday, Tuck. obviously. It's been a tough year for Tuck in terms of injuries. So that'd be another thing. If he was healthy going into the second half of the year, it'd be great, but I guess we'll see. And then there's also, I should mention, Greenway potentially coming back at some point. Yep. Whenever that is, that'd be great. Oh, boy. Well, we're in for a... Uh... Heavy air quote, fun couple of weeks here to close out the calendar year, Taylor. Any other thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off? <laughs> Go Bills. Go bi- the Bills back? Folks, yeah. This is my my only analysis. Jimbo Cook. Jimbo. This guy. Let James Cook, baby. What a game. That would that's that's real football. You ask me. You throw the ball like 16 times. It's raining and cold. Your offensive line versus their defensive line. You're running. You know what that was really like? That was like a, a game like the 5-8 and eight Bills would have won in 2006 in December. Like the Cowboys wouldn't have been 10-3 and three in a scenario. The Cowboys would be like 6-7, and 7-6. Seven, seven and six. Like they're still in it for the playoffs. We get back into the in the hunt graphic, but our quarterback only has like 90 yards and just run for like 180 yards and it's wet and gross. That's the kind of game that yesterday was. We'll take it. Yeah. We'll hey, take we grew nice up with little... their... Go ahead. As I say, we grew up with a lot of running backs that occasionally outgained the quarterbacks. In different yeah. Games. We were not unfamiliar with that. Hell no. Henry, McGahee, Lynch, Spiller, Jackson, McCoy. Yeah, they. So... I mean, they just had no answer for it. They They really did not have any answer for it. So go Bills, baby. We're in it now. They need to yeah, win out works. and get some luck here, though. That is for sure. Yeah, true. All right, Taylor, what's your recommendation for today? Oh, well, you know what? I actually saw the holdovers on Friday. I don't know if you guys are familiar, anyone with that, but it's an Alexander Payne movie. It's starring Paul Giamatti, and it's a period piece. It's like 1970, a boarding school in Massachusetts. There's the holdovers refers to the kids that stay – back during Christmas break because I can't go home for whatever reason and Paul Giamatti's kind of cantankerous older teacher who has is tasked with watching the kids and stay and it ends up that all the kids leave except for one so it's just the two of them and that's very interesting uh and the kid I should say basically is the co-lead of the movie I don't remember the actor's name but I thought this was crazy Brendan uh when they're casting this movie they filmed it at I believe Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts, which is like a performing arts type place. So they, in exchange for filming there, they said that students, any student that wanted to audition could, which I, I'm sure they might've just said originally as like, a, uh, yeah, sure, they can audition. 
we need a bunch of extras as it is, right? But what actually happened is one of the guys got the lead, the co-lead along Paul Giamatti. Kid's never been in a movie before. This is his only like credit. Wow. And he was awesome. So highly Very recommended. Cool. Sad, but hopeful, you know. Okay. Probably maybe get nominated for an Oscar. Who knows? Nice. All right. I love that. Good stuff. I'm going to go with a song for mine. I'm going to go with Two Fingers by Jake Bug. His uh, self-titled out, it was on a self self-titled album that came out back in 2012 there was a couple of pretty popular songs from that one i believe the lead single or the most popular one was lightning bolt you probably would recognize that song if you heard it but two fingers is one that i listened to that album back then when it had originally come out and would revisit it very very sparingly like here and there over the years since it came out and i was listening to my discover weekly uh playlist on spotify earlier in the week this one came on it and I just completely forgot about the song until hearing it again, but it's a really, really good one. So check it out. Two fingers by Jake bug. Any other thoughts you'd like to share today before we close it out and sign off for this fun little Tuesday episode. Uh, happy Tuesday, everyone. Happy Tuesday. We'll have one more episode before Christmas. So make sure you're tuning in Thursday for our episode in which we will be covering Jack Quinn's return to the lineup against the Columbus Blue Jackets and previewing the big matchup against the Toronto Maple Leafs. We hope everybody has a great start to their weekend. In the meantime, though, before you go, make sure checking out both the presenters of this podcast both being the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and make sure you are following them on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also find us straight up Sabres. And before you close out of this app, everybody, make sure you give us a nice little follow or subscription. And we would very much appreciate a nice rating or review as we always do. And last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsor of this podcast, everybody that's DraftKings Sportsbook. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. Again, everyone we will be back with a brand new episode on Thursday. Hope everyone's having a good start to their week. This has been straight up Sabres. Sabres.